Joining us now is Colonel Douglas McGregor. Colonel, welcome back to the program. Love having you on, and our audience is just enthusiastic every time you come on because you're clear and also contrarian to the nonsense that we see on television from the military-industrial complex. What is the latest in Ukraine? Is it true that Russia is likely planning a blitz or a major offensive in the coming weeks? Well, I think the major offensive, Charlie, has actually already begun. <clears throat> it It's not beginning the way we would begin uh, an offensive. One of the things the Russians made explicitly clear is that they were not interested in this shock and awe business. That's not how they do business. So what we're watching at the moment are, are a couple of things that your audience needs to know. First of all, the, the numbers of artillery strikes, rockets, missiles, hard shell artillery has risen dramatically. Most of it, not all of it, but most of it is is focused on destroying air defense, air defense radars, air defense capabilities. And that that is logical because once you've stripped away the air defense, then there is nothing to interfere with your own close air support as well as all your other standoff attack missile and rocket systems. Secondly, they've marshaled an enormous number of forces down in the south of Ukraine on the uh, east side of the Dnieper River. And moving from left to right, from Zaborosia, which is near the river, <clears throat> over to Bakhmut, which everybody's heard a great deal about, and then up to a place called Liman, L-I-M-A-N, close to the Oxal River. That's about a four, three, four hundred kilometer stretch. Uh, and they have marshaled roughly 250 to 300,000 troops there. And then in the western part of Russia, another 100,000. And what we're seeing is an incremental rollout of these forces. These are many of them mobilized forces. They are led by combat experienced commanders, but many of these troops have not seen combat to this point. And they're being positioned to break through and then head north and west to essentially recapture all of eastern Ukraine. Do you think it's likely that Russia will be able to accomplish that in before the mud season kicks in? I, I think it's possible. Uh, I, I think they're less concerned about the mud season at this point, simply because once you are north of the line that I just described, uh, it's fairly open rolling terrain, which makes it easier for you to control what moves in it. You, you have no difficulty finding targets that you want to destroy and your forces don't don't have much trouble moving. If they were still down in the Donbass uh, to the south, then that would be a, a larger consideration. So I would say certainly within the next 30 to 60 days, I would expect what I just described to happen. What do you think is Russia's overall goal with the war at this point? It seems that they're willing to continue to escalate this, send more troops. And so what does success look like right now for the Kremlin? Well, I think success for the Kremlin would be an end to this war, to be blunt. Uh, I think both the Russian people and the government would like to see this thing end. They'd, they'd like to negotiate an end to it. But they're certainly not going to walk into a negotiation where they're told, well, you have to accept guilt, quote unquote, for the war, which they really didn't start. Uh, and then they're not going to give up all the terrain that they've already seized, which was largely occupied by Russians. Remember, their initial... Demands, if you will, were pretty modest. You, know, you give these two republics in the uh, Far East uh, autonomy. You, you give neutrality to Ukraine and ultimately recognize that Crimea is ours. They're not going to fall back on those now. They're going to demand neutrality for whatever 
form of a Ukrainian state exists, but it, it's going to be significantly reduced in size in a territorial sense. The, the problem is that we don't seem to be interested in negotiating. And so the, the other fallback position for the Russians, and a gentleman just came back from Moscow, told me this very recently, the Russians are prepared for a 30-month war with us. In other words, they've amassed all the ammunition, the equipment, and the capabilities they need to fight us for two and a half years. They don't want to, but they're prepared for it. Can you just go a little deeper on that, on how Russia <clears throat> views war versus how the West views this war, uh, views war? They, uh, they have a different philosophy. They're willing to sacrifice greater numbers. Um, they are willing to engage in a war of attrition. This is a concept that a lot of Westerners, it's foreign to us. Well, I think that's misleading, Charlie, to be frank. Uh, I think they've been very economical with Russian lives. All of the commanders have tried to maximize the use of standoff firepower, missiles, rockets, artillery, to do as much damage as possible, and they've been very successful. 75% of Ukrainian casualties have been caused by those systems. So they have had great success in restricting the exposure of their troops to close combat. Now, that won't be possible in the future once the breakout occurs. It'll be more difficult. But the Russians have never taken the heavy casualties that the West insists they've sustained. And the West is running around with some crazy number of 200,000 casualties, pure nonsense. I'd be surprised if, if they had 50,000 to 60,000 casualties and more than 20,000 dead. It's the Ukrainians that have suffered terribly. So I, I think on the one hand, yes, uh, attrition is part of this, but the attrition is focused on the Ukrainians and the maneuver will follow the, tr the attrition once it becomes clear that the Ukrainians are completely broken and they're pretty close to it right now and they fall apart, then the maneuver will commence. Now, how far will they go? If they have to, they'll go all the way to the Polish border, all the way to Moldova, all the way to the Romanian border. I don't think they want to. They never did. Uh, this whole thing has blown up to an extent that they did not anticipate. And we're, they're hopeful, I'm sure, that we will wake up and decide this is a bad idea. There's no evidence for that, Charlie, and I think the ball is ultimately in the <clears throat> court of the Europeans. Excuse me. <clears throat> the, yeah, and and, and th thank you for for clarifying and correcting me because, quite honestly, <clears throat> I hear repeatedly from people it's just a matter of Russia throwing enough people at the front line. For example, you know, this is uh, General Milley. I'd like to have you respond to this. Cut 38. Russia has the numbers. They have the numbers, several hundred thousand, and then he continues play cut 38. Well, they are attacking in the Donbass right now. Um, their progress is slow. It's a war of attrition. They're taking heavy casualties. Uh, their leadership and morale is not great, um, and they're struggling mightily. However, uh, they do have numbers, uh, and, and as you know, uh, President Putin did a call-up of uh, several hundred thousand, uh, and those uh, folks have uh, been arriving on the battlefield. So they do have uh, numbers, <clears throat> and whether or not they're successful in pressing the fight, uh, that remains to be seen. But that fight has been going on. What is your reaction to General Milley? Everything that Milley said should be applied to the Ukrainians, not the Russians. Uh, we estimate that as many as a million Ukrainians have been uh, shoved in front of the Russians down in the Donbass. Uh, remember, they started with a, a regular army of about 450,000 with 200,000 trained reserves. Most of that is either killed or wounded. 
And then they've replaced them with hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians, frankly, who had little or no training and were forced into the front lines. So everything he said applies to the Ukrainian side, not the Russian. Russian morale is very good. Uh, Russians are not suffering terribly at all. Uh, all you have to do is, is look at the stuff that is posted online and you find plenty of confirmation for the good health and high morale of the Russians. But the Russians naturally want an end to this. That's true. Every, every soldier who has to fight wants the war to end. And you hear the opposite in the Western media repeatedly. I want to play this here. Uh, 41. NATO says Putin is not preparing for peace. He's launching new offensives. But he says the training of the Russians is not the same level as the Ukrainian forces. When I heard this, I just I, I failed to believe that somehow the Russian army is is not as adequately trained as the Ukrainians. It just doesn't make any sense. It defies logic. Play cut 41. Almost one year since the invasion, President Putin is not preparing for peace. He's launching new offensives. So we must continue to provide Ukraine with what it needs to win. What uh, Russia lacks in quality, they try to compensate in quantity. The training uh, don't have the same level uh, as the Ukrainian forces, but they have more forces. Uh, and the Russians are willing to send in those forces and, uh, and take a high, high number of casualties. Colonel, your reaction? This is a material that could be lifted from any history book about the Soviet army in 1942, 43, 44, where they very definitely did what uh, Mr. Stoltenberg describes. Doesn't apply today, not at all. In fact, quite the opposite. The, the second point is Mr. Putin cannot prepare for peace. I'm sure that he would prefer to do so, <clears throat> as everybody involved in this would. The problem is that we continue to promise more and more equipment, more ammunition, more tanks, better tanks, fighter aircraft, you name it, telling the Ukrainians to fight on to the bitter end. Under those circumstances, what do you expect the Russians to do? The Russians are doing what they know they have to do. They have to destroy the Ukrainian armed forces. That's what they're getting ready to complete right now. How do you think the West is going to respond if and when Russia is able to take more territory? I think the the West will scream and holler, but ultimately do nothing. They understand the risks are enormous. If we interfere with ground forces, air forces in the war in Ukraine, we will end up in a direct confrontation with Russia. No one in the Department of Defense wants that, and everyone in the Department of Defense has warned the president we're not prepared for that confrontation. That's That's fascinating. I hope you're right, Colonel. I hope that the West backs off and doesn't want to continue to escalate this. I've not seen any evidence of that so far. It seems that we're willing to send $100 billion in sophisticated armaments and weaponry. And I sure hope that there's some sort of negotiated peace settlement and ceasefire. What would a peace structure look like and who could negotiate that? The first thing is there can be no preconditions to peace talks. In other words, you, we've got to sit down with the Russians without any demands of any kind. We've got to listen to them. Then we have to respond and, and hammer out something that will ultimately serve everyone's interests. And no one is going to come out of this with everything that they want. One thing is absolutely certain, and that is that we have to sign up for neutrality for Ukraine. That's absolutely non-negotiable. And 
It's in our interest, Charlie, to do that. Uh, a neutral Ukraine between Russia and NATO is a wonderful buffer that uh, both sides can appreciate. But other than that, when it comes to territory, that's going to be a give and take. It's going to de- be determined, I suspect, in large part by where the Russian forces are when we finally decide to negotiate. And of course, that's a that's a bad way to do business on our side, because we have to expect that the Russians will ultimately roll everything up to the Dnieper River. I'm afraid that a lot of people are going to are going to continually unnecessarily die, and it's only going to put us in a more and more precarious situation. So, Colonel, I want to ask you about the unidentified flying objects. What do you know about this, and how should we think about it? Well, I wouldn't waste a great deal of time on it. Uh, I think the whole uh, balloon hysteria is coming unglued right now. As I understand it, we're now close to admitting that we shot down a weather balloon that belonged to the U.S. Weather Service. I, I'm not sure, but I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, one of my friends, a classmate from West Point, called me and said, you know, Doug, these people are so stupid. We could buy a balloon online, fill it with helium, attach a teddy bear to it, put a Chinese flag in the teddy bear's hand, and they'd use a $400,000 missile to shoot it down. I mean, this has reached the point of absurdity. You know, the Chinese have 300 satellites orbiting the planet. At least a third of those have a military application. They have access to the same technologies of intelligence collection that we do. They can read the names on gravestones. They can listen to whatever Dr. Jill says to President Biden tonight when they go to sleep. So who are we kidding? Why would they need a balloon to do anything? Uh, I, I think this has been maybe at best a distraction and at worst an embarrassment. So this weekend was the Super Bowl and the players' mm-hmm. management, waste management, uh, and I live nearby, and I saw the Goodyear balloon. And then, right mm-hmm. as the Super Bowl was beginning, there was a major flyover. I said, they're going to shoot down the Goodyear balloon. I know it. <laughs> they're going to shoot it down. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the Goodyear blimp because for – any of these balloons to carry a payload of uh, technology that would actually provide uh, the kind of uh, surveillance that we're looking for or that the Chinese were looking for it would have to be the size of a Goodyear blimp. And these things have all been far, far too small to do that. So do you think this is overblown? Is it our own government being incompetent against itself? Has this been happening for some time? Is this a threat to the homeland? What's your conclusion of it? <clears throat> I think someone in the Air Force saw this thing and said, uh, well, it's probably a weather balloon or they're accustomed to it and did nothing. And then we decided, and when I say we, I suspect the Biden administration to make something out of it. Is it incompetence? Probably some of that. I, I don't I don't think that the uh, North American Air Defense Command is incompetent. I don't think the commander is. I don't think he reacted because we've seen lots of trash blow at 30, 40,000 feet along the jet stream from west to east for a long time. Somebody decided to make this an issue and, and pin it on China. There's a lot of Chinese hysteria in Washington right now, Charlie. Uh, sometimes I wonder, since they've already made a mess of this war with Russia, and the Russians are ultimately going to triumph, and everybody here knows it, maybe now it's time to shift gears to China and start something else. I hope not, but sometimes I get that impression. The uh, appetite for war never ceases in the kingdom of Washington, D.C. Welcome back to Neil Oliver Live. Now, the long-expected Russian spring offensive in Ukraine is underway, NATO reported last week. 
The eastern city of Bakhmut, among others in the east, has been under attack and observers warn the Russian effort will be widely spread with multiple targets. On the 8th of February, Ukrainian President Zelensky spoke in Westminster Hall and asked for British fighter jets for his pilots. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and Labour leader Keir Starmer had earlier spoken in the Commons about their commitment to supporting Ukraine until victory is achieved. Just what are the prospects for the Ukraine in the days, weeks and months ahead? To consider that question is my next guest, retired US Colonel Douglas McGregor, a decorated combat veteran and former advisor to the Secretary of Defence in the Trump administration. Uh, Good evening, Colonel. Thanks for joining me. Sure. First of all, Colonel, what is your assessment of the war in Ukraine at this time? Right now you have uh, in and around uh, Ukraine roughly 700,000 Russian troops. Uh, The body, major body of these troops are located down in southern Ukraine and in western Russia. Uh, Most of these troops are new in the sense that they're mobilized or recruited, but they are all commanded by experienced combat veterans. In front of them right now are highly elite light infantry formations uh, backed by massive strike assets, clearing the remaining areas through which these massive forces will shortly pass. It's almost almost finished, not quite. Uh, Bakhmut, which has been under attack for months and has literally bled the Ukrainian army white, is is close to being annihilated. But uh, other than that, most of these forces are ready to go. It's simply a question of when the general staff in Moscow gives the green light. And by the way, their targets for their missile strikes have changed dramatically. They've stripped away virtually all the remaining air defense that the Ukrainians have. Now, there are voices out there all around calling for greater involvement in Ukraine by NATO countries almost up to and including boots on the ground and and so on. How do you react to that? Well, I think we're suffering from a narrative that was promulgated early through the media by this ruling class that you've been discussing with your guests. And the ruling class has tried to convince everyone that Russia is the evil empire that is striking helpless Ukraine. In reality, we've spent the last eight years building up a force in Ukraine whose entire purpose was to attack and destroy Russia, uh, focusing mainly on eastern Ukraine and then Crimea. The Russians saw this threat metastasizing and realized it was only a matter of time until American uh, theater ballistic missiles and short-range missiles showed up in eastern Ukraine. And so they intervened. They intervened with the goal of convincing us that we should negotiate and that the Ukrainians should back down. Uh, we would not negotiate. In fact, we prevented the Ukrainians from negotiating, and we have insisted on this long war. Russia had to make a decision. Would it cut its losses and get out, or would it finish the fight? It couldn't cut its losses and get out because there's an existential threat in eastern Ukraine to Russia. So they decided to annihilate it. And this phase of the operation is designed to effectively secure all the territory east of the Dnieper River. I imagine subsequent phases will move west of the river. How far they go and what they do will depend entirely on whether or not we finally recognize that we cannot help Ukraine win. Uh, we are not going to win this fight. The Russians will. 
Greg, how do you, uh, uh, bear with me, Colonel, while I, I bring in Greg Swenson, who's uh, here in the studio with me. How do you react to what the Colonel is saying there, Greg? Well, I think what the Colonel is saying is, is in contrast to what we're hearing in the media. And so I'm not sure whether to believe the media and, you know, because it, the idea that that was promulgated, as, as Colonel McGregor said, was that the Russians are the invaders here and, and Ukraine are just defending their country. But that's, you know, we just don't know what if, if this narrative that was developed by the media is true or not. You know, there hasn't been any debate. And that's, I think, the biggest problem here is that, that the, the elites in both countries, in the U.S. and the U.K., decided right out of the gates that, you know, this was the most important issue and we must. And we saw Mitch McConnell say this, this last week. This is the most important crisis for America. Meanwhile, there are much bigger problems in America than, than this one as far as Americans are concerned. So, so there's, there's some, really, uh, some really different arguments here. Colonel McGregor, I'm sure you're listening to that. Um, also, I mentioned uh, in my introduction to you that uh, Rishi Sunak, the British PM, and Keir Starmer, the, the opposition leader, have, you know, have committed to, to staying with Ukraine until victory. Uh, and, you know, there's now going to be uh, fighter jets supplied to, to Ukraine, long-range missiles. You know, what are the implications for NATO if, if Britain keeps, you know, nudging closer and closer to what certainly sounds like war, direct war with Russia? Well, the English-speaking countries have uh, fully embraced this false narrative about Russia and Ukraine. Uh, they staged the coup and installed a government in Kiev, which was from its inception fundamentally hostile and anti-Russian. Uh, the war that we're now witnessing was cultivated over many years, not just over the last eight. Uh, certainly the deaths of 14,000 people in eastern Ukraine as a result of Ukrainian aggression against the Russians in their own country was part of it. But this is this has been a long-term process that has now put the Russians in the position of fighting an existential threat. For Russia, Ukraine's membership in NATO means that it becomes a permanent platform for attack against Russia. They will not tolerate that. They have no choice but to fight this to the finish. Most Europeans, I think, are completely disinterested in fighting this war. I'd be surprised if most people in Britain uh, necessarily want conscription to be announced and tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of British troops to be sent to the continent to fight the Russians. Uh, I think the Russians will fight this to the bitter end, right up to the Polish border. And if we continue to fight uh, from Poland, then Poland will become part of the war. This is a catastrophe for NATO. NATO is not going to survive this experience. It will crumble. That's already happening behind the scenes. And Germany, of course, sits at the center of all of this. And the Germans have absolutely no interest in a war with Russia any more than most of the rest of Europe, Europeans do. Uh, Molly Kingsley, listening to the colonel there, do you feel that there's a whole massive part of this long and complicated story that we simply haven't been invited to know about, far less to discuss? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been, I think, very conveniently painted as a simple black and white issue that actually it's become very difficult to argue against. You know, Zelensky good, this hero, Putin terrible war criminal. Obviously, we're doing this. Let's not debate it. Let's not talk about it. And I say convenient because it is convenient for our leaders because it means that they can 
blame this war for so many of our domestic ills that in fact had nothing to do with the war. So, you know, if you look in absolute yep. terms at the money spent on lockdown, which has crippled our country, destroyed our public services and which we are nowhere near, you know, reclaiming that ground than we were a year ago or a year and a half ago. Mm. But, you know, yet it's the war in Ukraine and that just doesn't add up, actually, if you look at the sums of money. But it's 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 painting it in black and white allows this cloak of, you know, obviously it's the right thing to do. It can't be argued against and it's closing down the debate on it. And there needs to be debate because it's playing roulette with all our futures. Colonel McGregor, do you think we are? Do you think Europe is? Are we moving closer to, I hate to say it, but a World War Three type scenario? Is, are, we, are we walking without the, the proper debate and involvement of the populations who, upon whom all this would impact, being, you know, being informed and being invited to have an opinion? Well, there's been no debate in your country or in mine because the ruling elite controls everything. They control finance, they control the media, and they control the government. So there has been no debate. People have been presented with this false narrative and told, well, we have to go do this because Russia presents a great threat. The truth is that there was no threat from Russia whatsoever. And these people never bothered to point out that the Russians initially went in with very few forces in a very restrained manner. And this led people to conclude that the Russians were weak and incompetent, which, of course, was wrong. But they can't have it both ways. If Russia is weak and incompetent, it's no threat. Now, today, that's been reversed dramatically, and suddenly Russia is regaining its former military power faster than anyone anticipated. And the Russian economy is in infinitely better shape than yours and most of Europe's economies. So I, I think we're we're headed to something. I don't think it's World War Three. I think we're going to watch ultimately as Europeans remove this ruling class from power across Europe and hopefully at some point in your country. And I think we'll see something something similar here because the interests of of the people are simply not represented. The only thing this regime's told us is, don't worry, they're not aliens. Literally, they came out today and said they're not aliens. Other than that, we don't know what they are. So here's my question slash assumption. Is this all a distraction? I mean, seriously. Nobody's talking about the article that a Pulitzer Prize journalist did last week saying that the U.S. is the one that blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. If we blew up Russia's pipeline, wouldn't that be considered an act of war? Nobody's talking about that. Nobody's talking about the fact that Russia's about to just unleash hell on Ukraine. We might be sending fighter jets, which would put us into this war. Nope. We're all looking up. We we need to wake up. And you're right about the distractions. First of all, the information about the Nordstrom pipeline is absolutely devastating. You remember asking me about this, and I refused to say that I knew who was responsible. I said there are several people with the navies that could have done it. There's a lot of evidence in Cy Hirsch's article that, yes, unambiguously, we did it. And yes, you're right. That's not just a declaration of war on Russia. That could be considered an act of war on Germany. It's absolutely devastating to our foreign and defense policy. It's a catastrophe for us in Europe. That's one thing. And then secondly, we have this offensive in Russia, in Ukraine that is now really beginning finally. Hundreds of thousands of troops are involved. Ukrainians are running out of ammunition. 
it's it's very unlikely that Ukraine is going to survive this for very long, and we may be staring at collapse. So perhaps this is a distraction, as you point out. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up, folks. If you did not hear last week, because it got buried on most all mainstream left-wing media, Pulitzer Prize winning, I would consider him probably center-left, if not left-style journalist, definitely not a conservative talk show host like myself. Um, Mr. Earth put this out, I mean, and says he's got information that proves that the United States Navy and deep-sea divers set charges months in advance, then blew the pipeline. That's what the article says. I'm just throwing it out there. This guy's a respected journalist, not from the conservative side. So if you believe that, we blew up the pipeline. And all you got to do is go back to the soundbite from Mr. Biden himself. And, Colonel, you'll tell me the gal's name, undersecretary or something, if I recall, the SecDef's office. She came forward and said... It will not. If if this goes to war, that pipeline will not finish. I guarantee you. I mean, there was two people in this regime that told us months ago, this pipeline will not exist if he goes to war. And then poof, it got blown up. I mean... No, I think the, the glass slipper belongs to uh, President Biden and his uh, little band there of neocons that installed a government in Kiev and started this war ultimately. There's no question about it. The bad news for the United States is Americans can no longer trust what they hear from their own government. And more and more from day to day, I hear that over and over and over again. And people contact me asking me to provide some ground truth. I can only tell what I know. And if I don't know, as I said before, when you ask me, I will say I don't know. But I think Cy Hirsch has a good record. Mm-hmm. It may not be perfect, but it's a pretty sound record, and he, when he opens fire, uh, he has a target in mind, and he doesn't care whether it's left or right. He's really interested in the truth. Well, then I'm going to take that reporter and that article at face value and then move into this. So, he claims we blew it. Now we've got balloons from China, allegedly. We know that China was supporting Russia in this movement into Ukraine. So here's my question to you. The U.S. and France just issued orders telling all Americans to get the hell out of Dodge. Get out of Russia. (laughs) You've always got info of what's going on. Zelensky's in the U.K. over the weekend begging for jets and more missiles, still begging us for jets. What's about to happen in Ukraine with the Russia war? Well, it's very clear that the Ukrainian regime is on the verge of collapse. The population is miserable. Morale is in the gutter. Ukrainian forces have fought courageously, but they haven't been very well led. They haven't been very well commanded. They haven't been very well supported. And they are cracking, hundreds of thousands of them. And they're falling back. And the Russians are now prepared to launch major offensives. In the south, you have roughly a quarter of a million Russian troops from Beograd all the way down through the area that reaches Kherson. They are going to start moving. In fact, they are moving now. And we still have that contingent of over 100,000 sitting in Belarusia. And I think that's why the, the word is out. If you're an American in Ukraine, in Russia, in Belarusia, it's time to get out. It's time to get out if you're French, if you're Brazilian. If you have anything to do with NATO, it's time to leave. Gotcha. I'm going to bring the interview to a close where it began and go back to the balloons since all the hype over the last several days have been about the balloons. And again, we don't know where they're coming from. For a hot second, besides distraction, I thought, oh, maybe it's Russia messing with us if China did do the first one or two, whatever. So I want to play this quick soundbite from good old Chuck Schumer and just get your reaction on the backside when he was asked about the balloons. 
Look, I think the Chinese were humiliated. I think the Chinese were caught lying. And I think it's a real, it's, it's a real step back for them. So he sounds like he's claiming this was all China. We humiliated the hell out of them by bringing them down. Um, they're still keeping up the farce that there was three of these that flew over and Trump let get away while he was in, which we know was false, thanks to General, um, uh, what's his name the other day, said during a, a roundtable in Florida, nope, not to his knowledge, ever happened. So anyway, the lies continue with Chucky, with Biden, with all of them. Your reaction that we humiliated China by shooting these down. No. In fact, I think around the world we look ridiculous. Uh, people are wondering why a power like the United States is worried about something as minuscule as a weather balloon, for God's sakes. I think it's the pot calling the kettle black. I think our government is projecting what they want others to think about the Chinese onto China. We're the ones that have a lot of trouble right now with the truth. That's got to change, or, or this government won't last. 